The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast, where this week we are celebrating Castlehaven's epic Munster final win over Dingle. We'll be joined by Captain Mark Collins to reflect on an incredible game in just a little while. Later on, we're also joined by Kinsale golfer John Murphy, who has been chatting to Sean Holland about his year and his plans for the future. So lots to look forward to on this week's Star Sport podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Mangan, and I'm joined today by Star Sport editor, Kieran McCarthy. The Star Sport podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose credit union, choose local, choose community. Now, Kieran, there's only one place to start this week, and that is with Castlehaven's penalty shootout victory over Dingle in the Munster Senior Football Final. And I described the game as epic at the start of the show. You were there in what, for Mike, very comfortable position watching from home. It looked like uh, biblical conditions. But uh, yeah, both teams served up a, a remarkable remarkable game. If, if we saw Noah's Ark kind of sailing up in its road on Sunday, you wouldn't have been surprised. Like biblical conditions is, is a great way to, to describe it, Dylan. It was atrocious up there. The wind and the rain. Um, Storm Fergus. I think there was an orange warning in Clare, but obviously the, the wind and rain decided to, to pop into the Gaelic crowns because how those players from both Castlehaven and Dingle served up such an entertaining game, considering how bad the weather was. It's it's a credit to both sides. But yeah, this was an epic contest. It's one of the the most entertaining games I've ever been at because there was so much involved. Like it's a it's a game. A Munster final that went down to sudden death in a penalty shootout after these two teams couldn't be separated. And at the end of it, it's, it's Castlehaven who are celebrating a fourth Munster senior football title. And um, in this Thursday Southern Star, Holly O'Sullivan is reflected on the game. And one line kind of stands out. He goes, love them or hate them, you have to admire them. And that really is one of the big takeaways that I took away um, on the drive home from the Gaelic Crowns on Sundays. You just really have to admire this this group of Haven footballers because the spirit that they showed to stay in that game and didn't dig out to win, it's just um, an incredible result. And that's why people are describing it as one of the, the biggest wins in Castle Haven's history ever because it's just um, it's a game they should have lost on a couple of occasions. Three points down in the second half of normal time, three points down at half time and extra time, and it did look grim for Castle Haven. And I have to admit, I was... I was struggling to see how they're going to get back into that game because three-point lead in those conditions were, um, that's a sizable advantage. But the Haven found a way every time to get it to a shootout. And then in the shootout, when they finally got ahead, they lost that advantage and Dingle had a kick to win the Munster final when um, when uh, Tom Sullivan stepped up with the Dingle's final kick um, in that shootout. But then Damien Cahillan, what an incredible story that is. He saved it with a sudden death. Cahillan scored. Mikey Ganey missed and Haven hit it home with the cup. It's incredible. And 
I guess um, you mentioned Damien Cahalan there. A lot has been made of um, his his past uh, goalkeeping heroics with uh, Greenwood. He was a as a schoolboy, he was a teammate of Ireland international John Egan. And um, I don't know if people have seen it, but there's a great video of him scoring a goal from a, a kick out or, or kicking the ball from from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, that was probably wind assisted, and the wind was um, was a. a a huge factor in the game. Like you look at some of the some of the points. I know Mark Collins, who we'll have on in a little while, scored one of the most incredible points I've seen in a long time. Um, using the win to his advantage there. And um, how much of a factor was that? And do you think Haven managed managed the conditions maybe a bit better than Dingle on the day? Like I said earlier, the conditions were atrocious for for both teams. Uh, it's just just interesting when you're looking at Castle Haven. It's always this kind of. Um, fail to prepare, prepare to fail, kind of um, kind of process. Uh, Castlehaven travel up on Saturday. They stayed in the Green Hills Hotel, which is what a kilometre or so from the from the Gaelic grounds. Um, then that morning, the Haven management went down to the Gaelic grounds just to check it out, to look at the conditions. They came back to the hotel, and they stay. They kind of filled in the Haven players. Matt Collins was telling us after. That they were just saying about the wind is blowing in from 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 a certain side. It's kind of they gave them just as much information as they could. The Haven management also travelled up to the Gaelic grounds midweek last week ahead of the game, so they left no stone unturned. As in the planning that went into this was meticulous from Castlehaven, even down to the pre-planned switch of Damien Cahillan to put him in goal instead of Derek Cahillan if the game went to penalties, and and that was a big if. But Castlehaven's kind of thought process was there's that much between these two teams. And we actually saw that in match previews. I was reading them over the weekend. Some tipped Dingle, others tipped Castlehaven. So it was a very hard game to decide oh, who's going to win this because there were two evenly matched sides. And given the weather conditions as well, that was a fierce leveller. So there always was a chance that the game could go could go to penalties. So the Haven had devised this plan in, in the lead-up. Why don't we put Damien Cahillan in goal? And there was a couple of reasons behind that. Like you said, Dylan... Um, Damien has that background. He was a soccer goalkeeper, so it's not an alien position to him. He he's used to, to playing in goal, and um, he's used to penalty shootouts. He's used to facing penalties. So there was that ticked one box, but there's also the almost the psychological aspect of it because nobody saw it coming. Absolutely nobody could have predicted that Damien Cahillan would go in goal for a for a penalty shootout. So um, like did that set seeds of doubt in the Dingle players' mind or like? All of a sudden, you're facing like, and Damien is a big man. Like he's mm-hmm. a big presence. He, he was filling that goal. It's like all of a sudden they're like, Jesus Christ, what's this lad doing in goal? You know, kind of because you would not have expected it. And then um, there was a bit of, can we call it shit house ray from Damien Cahillan in terms of some penalties, as in trying to put um, trying trying to put Dingle fellas off. Um, to be honest, I'm all for that. I really am all for that because when it comes to um. When it comes to a game of fine margins, you do whatever you can to win the game, you know, within the rules. Like he wasn't breaking any rules. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely kind of Haven again, they ticked that box. And it's all those little inches, all those little fine margins that added up to the final result, which was Haven getting over the over the line. But it's just their their planning, you know, from staying up the night before, from visiting the ground twice before the game, from having Damon Cahillan ready to go on goal. And they actually checked that with the referee before the game. They checked that with referee just, just just to see is it okay that, that we can do this and to, to get the rules clarified. But I was uh, I, I met Cork football manager John Cleary on the pitch after the game on Sunday, and I was saying Jesus that was that was, that was a cute move. I said that uh, put Damien Cahillan in goal, and he said yeah you can do that. He goes you can put any any fella in goal 
uh, as a, a, any footballer to get them to wear the, the jersey. He goes, you're, you're not breaking any rules there. You're allowed to do that. So Haven knew the rule book and they pulled out this rebel out of the hat and it paid off because Gaming Cahillan was certainly the hero of the penalty shootout. He scored to himself the, the first kick and then Haven's first in sudden date. And if you see the, the video replays, he geez, he nearly took the, the net off, like the power behind him, like the, the Dingle goalkeeper, um, Gavin Curran. Do you see he didn't have a hope? Like, because um, if he if the Dingle goalkeeper had gotten a touch on it, he probably would have broken his hand with it. It was exactly so because the, the wind was right behind him as well, and he just put his boot through it. And he was telling us after Damien that when you come when it comes to penalty shootout, it is a lottery, it is luck. And he's saying is just pick your spot and go for it. And if it goes in, it goes in. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But he's two went in. So um so many different heroes on the day, but but Damien certainly took the headlines after that penalty shootout. Yeah, the Haven management probably taking a bit of inspiration from Louis Van Gaal and uh, maybe Damien taking some inspiration from Emmy Martinez, the Argentina goalkeeper there. So um great to see. And you mentioned a lot of heroes on the day, and it was a day where uh, people did have to step step up because um you had Michael Hurley going off quite early um and um towards the end of the game obviously Brian Hurley was going going down with cramp so it was a a difficult game game in that sense where where players had to had to step up and and take control. That's what makes this Haven win all all the more remarkable, Dylan, because it's almost against all the odds or against well at least against a lot of the odds. So Haven lost Michael Hurley to injury in the first half. And we had a piece of last week's Southern Star just about Michael's form in the last couple of games. In three of the last four games, we're saying the county semi-final against the Bars, the county final against Nemo, and the Munster semi-final against Rat Gormack. He was arguably, he was um, Castle Haven's man of the match. He was um, he was in, in flying form. So to lose him in the first half, that was, that was certainly a blow. Then just after that, Castle Haven lost Conor Cahillan. He went off... Um, um, for just before half time, but he reappeared early in the second half, and he was telling me after he got a belt in his stomach, and it just, just took him a small bit to recover from it. But he felt good at half time, and he felt good enough to come back on, and he was able to play the rest of the game. Then in the second half, Jamie O'Driscoll got two yellow cards. So for the last five, six, seven, eight minutes, Haven were down to fourteen men while they were chasing the lead. And this is a game where Haven were always chasing. They never led in this this game, which is a, a remarkable statistic. Imagine them in years to come telling their grandkids that they won a, a Munster football final without ever actually leading in, in the game. Um, but again, it just shows that this this Haven team just won't lie down. Like they, they, they just, They're a hard team to kill off. And that you trace that back to their spirit again. So there were so many different odds against them, but they kept finding a way to stay in this game. And they did that by their big players standing up. Brian Hardy finished with seven points. Um, it's not unusual for Brian Hurley to, to score seven points in a game. Like he's been a talisman of this Haven team for well over a, a decade now. Mark Collins, when they needed him, came up with some big scores. You mentioned that that that, that score. I think it was the the start of um of the second half of of extra time. What an incredible score! The way he used the wind, he just put the ball up there and he just used the wind to take it over. Like just a a, a beautiful score. Damon Cahillan was a huge presence. He was really good all day. Okay, he's heroics in a penalty shootout, but in the actual game itself, like in that haven defence, he was a rock back there and he was a driving force. He did so many things right. Conor Cahillan had a good game as well, but Cotton Maguire was just... Um, some of the lads after were describing it as the game of his life. And you can see why. He finished with four points. Uh, his last two points came at the end, at, at the very end of extra time, when Haven were chasing that lead, 
and he scored the two points that forced the penalty shootout. And his last score, almost from a standing position when, when, um, when he got the ball, but he was still able to get his kick away. And it was a brilliant score under pressure. And that's, we talk about pressure, kicks and clutch moments. That was it. If Cotton McGuire had missed that chance, Dingle were, were Munster champions. Like that was the, the effectively the, the last kick of the game. So Cotton McGuire came up with the with the big kicks in, in, in the big moments. And um, I've learned after his nickname is Shooter. His nickname is Shooter. I'm not sure. Um, I think we can trace that back to when he was underage, I was told, when he used to sh- shoot from everywhere. And I think mm. Jesus Castlehaven were, were glad that, that that shooter was in shooting form on, on, on Sunday because of those four points he got, and especially those two at the end, like that'll be the, the stuff of legend in, in Castlehaven because they're the points that got them to the penalty shootout. We know what happened there. And the end result is Castlehaven are Munster champions again. And they're now going forward to North Ireland semi final. And it's been confirmed for Sunday, January 6th, up in Simple Stadium at 1 45 pm throwing against Connacht champion St. Bridget. So it's going to be a quiet Christmas for those Castlehaven players. It's going to be a dry Christmas for those Castlehaven players. But I don't think they're going to mind, Dylan, because they have a huge game coming up. Oh, heroes all over the pitch. And let's hear from one of them now. It's Captain Mark Collins talking to Kieran. Mark, you've been involved in so many games over the years. Where does this rank for you in terms of pure drama? Yeah, I suppose it's very high up there, Kieran. to be honest with you. Um like uh, Sunday was just a crazy, crazy game. Um, I think we rode our luck at times. We were probably beaten, probably beaten on three occasions. Um, the end of normal time, the end of extra time, and in penalties, Dingle had a penalty to win it. So we definitely rode our luck a little bit. But I think it just shows the heart and character that's in the group. Um, to be a, that never say die attitude, and to be able to keep at it and get over the line eventually. I met you after the game and I was, was chatting to you after the game and I just brought up the spirit in, in this Castlehaven team and I want to touch on, on that again because the spirit that you showed on Sunday was just incredible to see. Three points down in normal time, three points down in half time and extra time and you found a way to stay in that, that game. Dingle had a, had, a, had a kick to win the Munster, Munster final and Damon Cahillan became the hero when he saved it. Like He found a way to stay in that game and he found a way to win and that comes back to the spirit of this group. Where do you think that comes from? I suppose we've been together we've probably been together um a long time a lot of us you know you know a lot of us came on the scene at the same time together and the younger lads then over the last three or four years have really like they've brought great energy to the group and we've become very close as a group um obviously we did a lot of hurt in Cork as well over the last three or four years where we were knocking in the door without getting over the line to be fair um James McCarthy's management style is unbelievable for that he really he really gets the group together um, you know, like we we've just had a, a super year together, and like w- winning winning those matches in in the Cork Championship. You know, I don't think there was any easy match, and getting over the line in those matches has brought the group together uh, step by step. And um, I think you really saw that in Sunday how close as a group we are. Because as well as that, like there was there was different kind of setbacks during the game. Losing my cardiac injury midway through the, the first half. Then Conor Cahillan had, had to go off for a period. Jamie Driscoll got recorded in, in the second half. So there was all all these little setbacks. But like I said, you really you, you really stuck together as a group. Yeah, 100%. You know, like um, like Mikey has been an unbelievable player for us this year. He's probably been our main man. Um, he's really like had an unreal year. And to lose him early on was, was a big blow. But we've had the attitude all year that like it's next man up. Um, I think I said it to you on Sunday. I think like inside that group, there's probably thirty players uh, capable of playing. 
Um, you know, we've had a couple of A versus B games leading up to the county final and again afterwards where the Bs have beaten us quite well. So, like, you know, I think that we knew that the, the talent is in the group. And, you know, like Jamie Driscoll came on for Michael, it was it was just he knew his job, knew his role. Andrew Welton came in uh, for Connor. Andrew was disappointed during the week like that he didn't get the start. And like to to be able to put that behind him and produce a brilliant performance was huge. And I think we just have that attitude in the group that it's next man up. Talking about brilliant performances, we have to talk about Cahill Maguire. Um, Damon Cahillan said after that, he, that the call had the game of his life and you can see why the four points and those those two clutch points at the end of extra time will become the stuff of legend in Castlehaven especially that, that, that last point from us from a from a, a standing position and I've learned since his nickname is Shooter you know so he's uh, he definitely lived up to his nickname but however he got that nickname when he when he was younger we won't say anything about that but uh, <laughs> Cahill definitely like in a big moment we needed a big player to step up like Cahill just puffed his chest out and he took the ball and he and he had uh, the bravery to take on those attempts too. Yeah, and on top of that, Kieran, like um, the first half of extra time, the wind really picked up and we were playing into an absolute gale. And I think at one stage we, we couldn't get out. We couldn't get out of the defence. And Cahill was the man who we got the ball to, to get us out. Like, I think he did that all day for us. He just had one hell of a game. And like, we all know, like, the talent that's in Carl, he, he's a brilliant player. He said he said a phenomenal uh, two years for us. You know, he was super first last year, and on on the back of that, he was brought into the Cork panel. Um, and like he he he's shown over the last few weeks what what a ta- what a player and what talent he has. Um, and like his dedication and the work he puts in is is crazy. So I'm absolutely delighted for him that on one of the club's biggest day, he was he was absolutely outstanding. Let's talk about the weather conditions for a second. You mentioned the wind there. Um, it was right through the game. Like Storm Fergus was just <coughs> un- unleashing hell on the Gaelic grounds. The wind and the rain was like I I, I was I was nice and warm and dry in, in the press box and I was lo- looking out at you and you were kind of str- kind of trying to. And in, in fairness to you, you put up such a good yourself ending it was such a good game considering the conditions. But that wind, like your your point in extra time where you just kind of just left it up into the wind and it it just curled in like it was a thing of beauty to watch. But how how difficult was it out there? Yeah, I suppose this goes back to our management team and the work they put in. Like they don't leave any stone unturned. From early in the week, we knew the forecast for, for the wind was was strong, um, and um, Gavin Gallagher and Bernie Collins actually went down to the Gaelic grounds earlier in the week, and they went again Sunday morning. And we were only staying across the road, but they went down again Sunday morning. They brought back to us exactly what way the wind was blowing. You know, we knew we'd be going into the town goal off the right hand side. Um, and like that was just a preparation and the a level of detail that they'd gone into. So I think, you know, when you have those kind of things covered, it's just like you 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 know what's what's gonna what's gonna happen. And I think that made things a, a little bit easier for us. And to be fair, like I know there was surface water on the pitch, but the pitch was actually um it was quite still quite firm. So like to run on it and stuff actually wasn't too bad. Um like it wasn't that it actually underground wasn't that soft. Um so like it, it probably looked worse than what what when you're in the game you don't you don't take much notice of it to be honest with you. Talk to me about that point I spoke about that you scored in extra time. How was the thinking behind that? Was it just were you trying to use the wind or, or was it just one just to put up there and see what happens? I'd say there's a lot of luck in it to be honest with you, Kieran. Um, you know, I think we were three down at the time, start of start of the second period of extra time, and um probably needed a score at the time. And uh, we, we were kind of camped in the corner a little bit. Uh, I think it was Brian or Cahill got it back out to me. And I knew the wind was strong, you know, that it, it was going to uh, it was going to like if you got it up in the air that it, you'd have the distance. So there was just a small bit of luck that it came so far in off the right. I think I missed it to the right, to be honest with you. 
you talk about the planning that went in that the, some of the Haven management were down to the Gaelic grounds the week before the game and on, on Sunday morning. Talk to me about the switch that kind of surprised us all, putting Damien Cahillet in, in, in goal for the penalty shootout. Nobody saw, saw that coming, but it was something that you said after that, and James McCarthy made a point as well, that you spoke about it during a training last week. What was the thinking behind the, the decision? Yeah, look, it was mad because I think in Cork, the championship, like, you know, the quarterfinal and semi-final go to penalties as well. You know, it's finished on the day, there's no replays. And it was something we, di- we didn't address this year. Um, but for some reason on Thursday night, um, we had a chat. We we just took a few penalties, and um, we knew Damien had had a history of playing in goal at underage soccer level and a, a quite a, a good a good career at underage soccer level in goal. He's a huge man and like with a with a, a great personality. Like it was made for him, and um, it just worked out for us thankfully. Um, but like there'd be no better man than Damo. Like stuck two penalties and to to save one when when the game was on the line was was brilliant as well. Talk to me so about about the pressure of a penalty shootout. You've been here before against the Bears, the county semi final twenty twenty and twenty one. You, you know what it's about. Um, but what was it like on on Sunday? Penalty shootout for a, a monster title on the line and with those conditions as well. Yeah, personally, my attitude was that it was a bonus that we'd got there. Like I, I personally thought we were beaten in extra time. You know, I think looking back, we watched the game in Castle Towns on a Monday evening, and looking back, like we were two points down going into the extra time, the injury time of extra time. So like to for Carl to get two points in in that space of time and to be given the chance for, uh, to take penalties was a bonus in my in my on my behalf. And you know, I think as you said, probably the experience definitely helped us a little bit as well. Um, you know, we've been in the situation before. We th- three or f- I, I think four of us who took penalties had uh, had taken them in those shootouts, so we knew what it was about, and uh, maybe it helped us. But it, look, there's a, there's a lot of luck involved in it. Dean Gill, Tom Sullivan had a penalty to win it, which could have gone in. Um, so look, there's a, a lot of luck, a lot of luck involved, but we're just delighted to get over like here. Your process when it comes to penalties. Um, I I don't know did I tell you this one before, but. Uh, I remember there was a, a magazine years ago called Match. It was a soccer magazine. And there was an article with Dennis Irwin in it. And he was a brilliant penalty taker. But he said, whatever you do, just don't cha- change your mind. Pick a spot and don't change your mind. And I've always tried to stick to that. Um, I wouldn't be the greatest of penalty takers, but I always just try to pick. And, and I, I, made, I I said it to Brian before he went up. But there was a gale of wind going into that goal. It was a very strong wind. So I said, hit the target and just put your foot through it. Because like, if you connected with it right, the, po- the ball was going to go at a, a good pace. So that was my thinking behind it anyway, Sunday. And thankfully, it all worked out. And now this, this the class of 2023 have joined the, the heroes of 89, 94, 97 as, as monster champions. And I was talking to James McCarthy afterwards outside the dressing room, and I think it was Niall Cahillan and Larry Tompkins passed me out to, to, to go in. Um, you've now joined those fellas as as holders of, of monster club medals. What, what does it mean to the group, but especially the likes of yourself, Mark, and and Brian and Damien and even Mike? Like you were there back in, in, in 2013 and yourself Brian, yourself, Brian and Damien in 2012 to have that monster medal now. Yeah, look, it's it's an absolutely brilliant achievement for the group here, and there's no question about it. Like, if you look back, like Larry, Niall, they were our heroes growing up, you know, like what they achieved and what they did for Castlehaven and on the national scene, even with Cork, like, was just incredible. And, like, we we grew up with them as heroes, and for us to achieve that on Sunday, like, the club has never achieved any more than a, than a Munster medal. So, like, to do that on Sunday and be part of that group in Castlehaven is just extra special. 
And it's not finished yet. I see the, the semi-final against St. Bridget's been fixed for January 7th, Simple Stadium, 145 uh, live and TG Carr. That's another huge game to look forward to in the new year. Yeah, it's something really to look forward to. Like it's it's amazing to be going into Christmas and thinking about training and trying to organize training around, you know, Chris, uh, family events around Christmas and stuff. It's just it's just extra. It is really special. And we're just we're very lucky to be part of the group. And it's obviously going to, going to be a quieter Christmas than normal because you have that big game coming up. But this really is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's an All-Ireland semi-final. So you probably won't mind having, having a bit of a quieter Christmas knowing what's waiting for you on January 7th. No, 100%. That's that's it, exactly. Like, as you said, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, you know, if you if you gave me this at the, the start of the year when we drew a Ross inside in Clan, I, I would have I would have grabbed your hand off for it. So, like, to say that we'll have a bit of a quieter Christmas, I think, is, is a good complaint. I saw some of the celebrations earlier in the week. Shane Hurley put up on, on, on Twitter a video. He said, um, when I saw it first, it was Castlehaven players singing Fairy Tale in New York. And I said, geez, I must watch this to see how, how good the lads are. I just say, Mark, it's a good job you can play football because I don't think that the, I think the charts are, are safe. But it was what was that like those few days, Sunday night, Monday, just those celebrations, this gang again together celebrating an, an, another big win. Yeah, I was actually like I I went came back to Cork yesterday and I'm back to work today. But I actually like I was thinking last night at home, like you know, to get to experience a, count, a county winning success in a year is incredible. But we've been lucky enough that we've had the same celebrations twice in six weeks, which is just phenomenal. Like, you know, and we're just, it's, we're very lucky to be part of this group. It's a, spe- it's a special group. And like um, the couple of days were absolutely brilliant. There's no question about it. Um, you know, you have to enjoy them. And it, 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 it was special to be together again. The very final question on James McCarthy. We've spoken about it before, like what this man has done for the club as a, in terms of management is just off the charts. Like kind of for, for someone like him to be in charge of this Haven team to get to the All-Ireland Club semi-final, like it makes him a very proud man. But talk to us about James McCarthy, the manager. What makes him so good? Yeah, I, I said it in my speech on Sunday, like the work he's put in, in over the last four years has been incredible towards this group. And like you kind of forget that this started, you know, the start of this was during COVID and stuff. And like the way he kept this panel together and it grew us closer as a group together during COVID was, was unbelievable. And I think that's paying off now, you know, like he had a, he had us on zooms and he was doing sessions with us on like, you know, it was just like, I don't think there was many club managers around the place would put in that work that he did back then. And thankfully we're repaying him now with a little bit of success. Um, and um, it, like, we're absolutely delighted that we can do it for him. Brilliant. And again, congratulations on a, and your 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 monster successor, your amen well used to lifting cups, and hopefully there's success to come in the new year as well. Just thanks very much for joining us again, Mark, and have a great Christmas. Thanks, a million Kieran. Really appreciate it. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Hey, welcome back to the Star Sport podcast and Kieran when we last spoke to Kinsale golfer John Murphy on the podcast he was on the challenge tour vying to qualify for the DP world tour he did just that last year he made it in um, and he's had a bit of a whirlwind first year after making the set up step up so he joined uh, star reporter Sean Pollan to chat about what has been a busy time on tour what it's like traveling to far flung paces to play golf and his future plans but it's been a a while while he he maybe says it's not been the year he planned, it's still been been a brilliant year on the tour for him. 
Yeah, I suppose a kind of a challenging year is is a good way to describe it. It was um like John has been a great friend of this podcast over the years. We've had him on several times. He's a great guy to listen to. He's just so open and honest. And this is a really good chat with Sean Holland that our our listeners are about to kind of hear in in the next couple of minutes. So it's um a challenging year for John. He's he won his his tour card at Q School back in November 2022. So he stepped up. He was he was kind of rubbing shoulders with the big boys this year. And um, I'm not going to say it was a reality check because that'd be a bit unfair, but it was it, it was tough going at times. And uh, John John admits that. Um, but he's taken away a lot of lessons from 2023, and, and and I think that's we can't forget he's still a young guy. I think John's only 25, so like there's like he's a, a huge and a, such a long career ahead of him, and he's certainly going to learn lessons from what worked this year, what didn't work, what he should do in the future. And what he needs to work on, when he should take a break, and 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 so on. So, um, if he can learn lessons from this, and knowing John, he will learn learn lessons from this. He will be back because he's going to return to the Challenge Tour in twenty twenty four and attempt to win his his card back again, his his tour card, and to get back in, to get back in again. And you wouldn't bet against him. You really wouldn't bet against him because um, it it really is a big step up when you're going from the Challenge Tour in, into the proper. DP World Tour, like that's a that's a big that's a big step up. So um, as you'll hear from him now, he's pretty disappointed with how it worked out, and he he's very open about the break he took in the middle of the year when it just he was a bit it just wasn't going well, and he pinpoints exactly the round and the shot where I was like, oh god, I just need a break from this. I just don't want to play golf at the moment. So he chats about that with Sean too. So like I said, it's it's a it's a really good listen, and you come come away with having even more respect for for John Murphy because. You realize like golf is such a tough sport. Like you're out there on your own, and like when it, when it goes wrong, it can be a, a very hard and lonely place. But um, I was gonna I was gonna say that actually, yeah. Like golf is is maybe golf and tennis as well. They're kind of unique in that sense where like they're. Uh, John actually he quotes uh, Brooks Koepka. He said, "If you win two, if you win two percent of the time, you're a Hall of Fame player." So like he said. Like you're not winning all the time, so you have to be learning all the time. And he, he's definitely been learning this year. Um, but it's just such such a, a kind of a difficult sport to to make your way in as well. Exactly. Like when you when you think of golf, like it's a really cutthroat sport as well, because okay, you've did like okay, John Ram, he's that deal is some would live golf, like it's just astronomical, like the figures out of this yeah. world, and you have the Rory McElroy's and, and the and all these, let's say the top guys who are Obviously, multi, multi, multi millionaires, all the money, Dave earned off it. But then there's you have a group of guys there who are making a living, trying to make a living out of it. And you make a living out of it by trying to make the cut. And that's what John Murphy found hard this year. He missed the cut in so many tournaments, but he's trying to earn a living through golf. And he's not at the stage where he's bringing home these seven figure checks from, from golf tournaments. He needs to earn enough money so he, he can go here, there, pay for his hotel, and, and, and so on. So it's just, um, it's a really tough tough sport to to get to actually make a living out of and to, and to find your way in and, and that's a great um quote that he has by Bruce Kepka. yeah if you if you win two percent of the tournaments that you start you're, you're a hall of famer like you know and and it just shows and how many golfers actually do that you're talking about a handful of them so it's a it's a tough sport to be but John Murphy is such a, a positive guy he's so enthusiastic and he's a He's, I think he's looking forward to get going again in, in 2024. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really good chat with Sean. Right now, I'm delighted to be joined by Irish professional golfer, John Murphy. John, how are you doing? John, how are we? Are we good? Not too bad, no, bye. Um, I suppose we'll get straight into it. And pretty much 
tell us a small bit about you, your first year on, on tour, first year, you know, as a fully fledged professional. Um, give us a kind of a, a brief synopsis about it uh, straight away. Yeah, I suppose obviously not the uh, not the year I'd anticipated or hoped for, but um, you know, golf is a golf is a strange game. It's uh, it's full of ups and downs. It's full of yeah, highs and lows, and um, I think there's there's a lot to be said for well, uh, yeah, I, I think in golf, winning winning or learning is more prevalent than probably in any other sport. You know, because uh, you're only going to win literally two, maybe one percent of the time you tee it up if you're. Yeah, I, I think that's what Brooks Kepka said. If you win two percent of the time when you tee it up, then you're you're gonna be a Hall of Fame player. So um I think just making sure that you're you're making the most of every scenario and every situation and learning from it is is the most important. And um yeah, look, albeit to be in the position I'm in, you know, certainly not the not a bad position to be in for um for a twenty five year old professional golfer. So I think it's important to keep that in mind and to make sure that you're you're making the most of, of every situation. No, you're dead right there. Even mentioning you're 25, you're you're literally just um a baby in in golf terms, just just kicking off. But at start of the year, or so kind of giving people a bit of a background, you started off the tour. You did a kind of um, it was kind of Asia first. So kind of, uh, give us a kind of a, an idea of what life was like there. You know, everyone knows going you know to St Andrews and everywhere around the UK. But starting off in Asia, what what was golf on tour like over there? Yeah, I suppose it's probably something I haven't fully uh, prepared myself for because as much as I'm used to being away from home, you know, obviously going to college in America away for four years, I'm used to being away from home. You know, it's it, it wasn't the, the traveling and the, the being away was the issue. I think it was just more so the... I, I probably hadn't prepped myself well enough for, say, the, the cultural differences, the food, the, the you know, the, there's a few different things that I, I didn't think I was probably as, um, as ready for as as what I could have been, but I mean, the experiences are fantastic, you know, to get to go to, to all these places and to, you know, the amount of safaris and the amount of, because you do have a lot of free time in the playoffs, you know, you'll have a day off a week and three days off a week if you don't play well enough. So, uh, you know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of time in your hands to, I suppose, just explore, see the world, see the places we were. And then, um, yeah, that was certainly a, yeah, an experience that I'll cherish is getting to do all those things and and getting to see the different cultures and it's pretty eye opening too. You know, just to go back to the um just the perspective that that we have as as golfers. You know, it's so easy for us to complain and to give out, but then you know you get thrown into into a country and you know you see the the troubles and the issues that go on around the world and I think you just realise how how well you actually have it. So um, it was very it was very eye opening and and uh, yeah, I suppose just made you made you feel bad for complaining all the time when, when you see stuff like that mm -hmm. no and you're you're, you're dead right you know, there is the the different cultures and and different um, parts of the world you know there is the, the money in one side of things and you see other place that doesn't but putting on your your tour guide cap no john um if you had to give people at home a recommendation um places out uh out to the eastern side of the world where where would you recommend people going I mean, the old coast right now, that's, that's pretty far east and I'm enjoying it here. So, <laughs> yeah, not, not too bad there, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I would like, you see, the, the only funny thing is that we we don't necessarily go to tourist destinations. You know, we'll go to where the Mexico course is there and we'll go to close enough to big cities. But um, I, 
yeah, like I, I certainly wouldn't recommend any of the places that we went in terms of a holiday. Uh, they're more, you know, golf. If, if you like golf, then go ahead. You know, we went and played a lovely course in India. If you want to go, going to fly 15 hours to play in golf, go ahead. Um, but no, there was, I, I suppose Thailand was the only, like we went to Bangkok. We were pretty much uh, in the middle of Bangkok for a few days. And that was, you know, an experience to, to say at the least. And there were a few other countries around there that, um, you know, India as much as as much as it is, you know, just just with the with the, I suppose the cultural differences, it is it is very eye opening and it is it is a very cool experience to see um just how I suppose how other countries live and the, their ways of their ways of being and uh, you know it, the one thing that struck me about India was how happy everybody was and how um you know. Yeah, it's it's just a, a very unique and different culture, and and something I definitely see, uh, or I definitely like to do on a, on a holiday as opposed to a golf trip at some point. I think. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's good in, inside information. No, I think um Tommy Bow got a gig there before um doing travel bits and pieces once he finished his career. So you never know, that could be a that could yeah. be one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. put away the clubs. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Next one for you is um. Kind of, kind of staying on the kind of geographical team and um, looking at kind of different parts of the world you've been playing in. You played in Kenya and um, kind of give people a kind of rundown there because your your right hand man Shane O'Connell wasn't um, he wasn't fit for action one day. So uh, kind of give us a kind of a brief um, synopsis of of what uh, happened there and and how much you nearly appreciated Shane after that. Yeah, um, so Shane went to Bali the week between, I think we might have been playing Singapore or something, and then had a week off, and then we were going to Kenya, so I went and did a bit of practice in Dubai, and Shane went to Bali, and he got there, and he wasn't feeling great when he got there, and then um, I think it might have been the Tuesday, he had the chicken burger, or he had a chicken burger somewhere, which, you know, in itself just isn't a very good idea, so, um, yeah, then Wednesday went, he was okay, and Thursday... <laughs> Thursday he got up, things things weren't well, as you know, in the course and um finding a porta potty here and there. I'm sorry, Shane won't mind me saying that. He was he was uh giving me the bag and said, right, I'm back in five minutes and happened a few times in the course and then it got to Friday and we got to the course and he was like, Look, there's, there's something wrong here. So uh I had to get a I had to get a local caddy. Shane had to get uh a doctor per se and he uh yeah, so so I, I got a local caddy called Christina, a uh, lovely woman. We got on great. Um, certainly, certainly Miss Shane a little bit on the course, but uh, yeah, we ended up flying home, and I think that probably proved to be the most difficult bit of it for Shane was was the flight home. But um, yeah, just again further evidence of you know you need to be careful with with how you're treating yourself and your body when you're on the road, and um, yeah, certainly thankfully a mistake we can learn from, and thankfully a mistake that. I can learn from Shane and not not the way around. Like losing made it not me. <laughs> yeah, no. At least at least he took the bang there time. But um, kind of coming back then, you're you're back in Europe where most of the action uh, is on then, John. And did you feel um that you were kind of a bit more at home once you got playing in the courses in Europe? It was kind of more similar to to what you're used to. Um, obviously your your results kind of told that there. Um. Give us kind of an idea, you know, obviously the first one, the first cut being made was Belgium. Like, did you feel that courses back in Europe suited your game more than maybe out, um, out east? 100%, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I think the style of golf is a bit different. Uh, certainly the grass types are a little bit different. There are more grass, or there are some grass types I'm a bit more comfortable on. Um, yeah, it was strange because I felt as though even when I left 
you know, I had a really bad spell down in Asia this early and I felt as though when I left there, I was going to be okay. Do you know, I was like, right, there's loads of loads of points available over summer in Europe, loads of courses I'm going to like over summer in Europe. And so I was just thinking, you know, everything's everything's going to click at some point. And I just thought there was going to be, you know, a week where everything would come together and that would just, that would just start it. But um, yeah, unfortunately that week just, just never came. But I mean, yeah, there was certainly better signs in Europe. There was more, uh, the, there was not more positivity in my, in my game towards the second half of the year, particularly, you know, after I took that break in the middle of the summer, I, I started to feel as though I was, um, I was enjoying the game a bit more again. And yeah, certainly, you know, stats and everything will prove my, my game is heading in the right direction. But unfortunately, just, just left it too late and then let's slip a little bit again towards the end. And um, yeah, unfortunately, wasn't able to, to have that week that I had been, I'd been planning on. But um. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's since an extra on the challenge tour, there's there's a lot of a lot of guys to be played in Europe, a lot of courses that I played before in Europe that I like. So uh already looking forward to to getting prepped for, for next year. Mm-hmm. No, dead right way. Um then like speaking on what you mentioned there uh, about taking the break over the summer, was there any one particular moment it came down to, or was it just the case the results weren't happening and you just needed to kind of reset? Yeah, like there so there was one week I played very poorly in in Germany, and then the week after was the British Masters didn't play well there, and then it, it got to Denmark, and I, I actually felt as though the first like twenty five, twenty six holes in the tournament I was playing really well, and like um, do, do you know I felt as though I was hitting the ball well, everything was going well, and um. I just, as much as I try not to think about score, I was looking at my score and I was like, how am I so far, you know, behind and and I suppose outside the cut line feeling as though I'm, I'm playing this way and then it got to one hole and I remember I had a horseshoe and I pretty much solidified that I wasn't going to be able to make the cut and I just, I just said to Shane, this is, you know, not enjoyable in the slightest, this is not where I want to be, this is not how I want to feel about my game, about the game of golf and um I just remember the drive back to our accommodation in Alberg after after that round in Denmark, just talking to him about it and just thinking, if, yeah, because you know I'd be fairly, uh, I'd be, well, I like to think I'm fairly open and, and honest with Shane about how I how I feel and you know every every emotion that goes on within the game of golf and, and everything that comes with it. So uh, yeah, I think I, I just told him, look, there's two events in America. I didn't even know if I was going to get into them, but even if I do, don't want to go. Couldn't think of anything worse than getting on a flight and playing golf. And then, um, yeah, I just decided to to uh, keep the clubs in the suitcase for a little bit and take a bit of time off. And you know, ideally, I think I would have liked a bit more time off. Looking back on it, I, uh, you know, I I think I played a challenge tour event maybe three or four weeks after, and um. I think I only did it because I was like, right, I need to get ready again for the rest of the DP season because, you know, I need to make points and do this, you know, whereas that's, that's kind of why I'm comfortable in the position that I'm in right now is um, I'm able to take a couple of months to to work on what I feel I need to work on and to get ready and to, to get my game back to, back to where I feel it needs to get to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. And when you did take that break then, John, was there anything specifically you did? Was it less golf? Was it kind of more practice? Was it just as you said, put the clubs in the suitcase and just and just don't think about it. Yeah, I was literally put the clubs in the suitcase. You see, like golf is a weird one where I think when you get to a certain level, it's and um, there's only so much that hard work can do for you. Whereas I think smart work is is certainly uh, you know if you look at the best players in the world, you're not going to see them out standing in a range for five hours 
um, the day before a tournament. That's uh, they're not finding their golf swings at, at a golf tournament. You know, they're they're just getting prepped and and just being tedious and, and smart about what they do. So, uh, you know, I if I thought that coming back to the cork and hitting balls for ten hours a day was going to make them better, I'd have been on for us. But certainly didn't feel as though that was the frame of mind I was in, and um, felt like the the best way for me to step forward was definitely to step back for a little bit and just to to do nothing and to um feel a I suppose a rejuvenated sense when when I was going out to practice again. And yeah, that's what I did. I took took a few weeks off. Uh, didn't touch a club. Didn't. Didn't really do anything golf related. I think the open might have been on around that time. I watched a little bit of that. Um, but other than that, yeah, I was very happy to just uh spend a little time with my friends and family and um do a little bit of chilling and then and then get back into it. And I, I think as I said, I probably would like a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I thankfully have that now. So um yeah, I, I think I'm already starting to feel that that little bit of uh wants to go and practice and, and play again and prepare for then sometimes the hardest thing the hardest work is actually to say no and to and to not do it you know there's two tournaments here in australia and the hardest bit about my trip to australia has been to to not play them because i know that in the long run it's good for me you know so uh yeah i, I think that's um that's certainly uh something that i've learned over the last year is sometimes a, a step back is a lot better than than trying to step forward mm-hmm. no you're dead right and kind of um on to that then, just building on it, in terms of being a pro golfer, then, you know, we all have the ideas, you know, it's it's when you're every Sunday and you're watching the likes of Victor Hovland and Rory McIlroy up the top of the leaderboard and you see the, the paychecks that are coming in, you're like, you know, this is a great life. But give us a kind of an idea when things aren't going so well, you know, when you're not making the cuts, when you're coming, you know, home most Fridays are, are moving on to the next course, next Friday. Is it, is it tough on you mentally that way? Um, yeah, look, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I've, I've a great team and great family around me. That's um, that probably make it a lot easier mentally than than what it could be. But uh, yeah, no, it absolutely is. Like the, the you know the drive back from the course after after uh, you know Bogue in the last Mister Cove, or you know you can't really explain it. You can't you can't put it into terms until you actually feel the emotions that go through you when it happens. Um, and yeah, like you can build up a lot of scare tissue from playing this game. You know, I've only been a professional for two years and I feel like I've aged about 50 years in those two years. You know, it's, it, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, I suppose, emotions and, and, um, yeah, just, just that come with the, with the pressures and stresses of, of being a professional golfer. I mean, that's, that also adds to the beauty of it. You know, it makes the, it makes the good days even more enjoyable. And, um, the thing is the feelings of, of the bad days and the, the misfits are so vivid that you remember every one of them and I feel like when things are going well it all, yeah it, it definitely makes you appreciate the, the good days that, that bit more than what you would no there, there'll be plenty more good days to come as well but kind of moving on then like into 2024 what's your big takeaway from this year that you'll be taking into into next year now to help uh, you know help progress um I, I've been trying to think about this a lot because I think I was I was almost a little bit naive going into the season thinking, oh, you know, I'm uh I'm good enough to compete, I'm good enough to win out here, I'm good enough to uh, you know, I suppose like I, I was thinking about coming top twenty of the rankings at the at the start of the year, you know, I I had no 
it didn't even dawn on me that I could lose my card in, in my first year, which at the time I would have thought was was a really good thing. Um, but maybe my my naivety kind of played to, to my disadvantage as well a little bit in the sense that I I, I didn't feel as though because I mean if you're calling straight spade, the courses are a little bit different on the George, you know, they're set up a bit tougher, everything's everything's a little bit different and I, I probably hadn't prepared my myself enough for that. Um and yeah, I think there was a couple of things where when I got through U school last year, I was like, right, honestly, I'm good enough now. I don't need you know, if I got my cards, I don't need to change anything. I don't need to to, you know, adjust anything in my thing technically or, or fundamentally. So I just kind of rolled with it as opposed to, like, the, the one thing I wish I did was just take a bit of time off after Q school last year and be like, right, let's, let's just go back to the maintenance work, go back to our, to the building blocks that we have and, and get ready to, um, to go again in the, in the new, well, not in the new year, but even give it a couple of weeks. So, uh, I, I think just rolling on week after week and, and not, essentially not taking an all season. You know, I got back for Christmas on the feet. All my friends for Christmas, that was great. But by the time January 5th came around, I was straight back to Dubai. And yeah, I said I really didn't have an off season, so I only got back to Mauritius at, at Christmas. So, um, yeah, I think that was one thing that I've certainly learned going into going into future years is it doesn't matter when it is, but just making sure you take an off season and give yourself time to maintain and reset and refocus. And, um, yeah, that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. <laughs> no, no place better to do that than the Gold Coast, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Looking out at the ocean here. Yeah, well, I'm looking at the fucking wall here in Court Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Could always be worse. Could always be worse. <laughs> so the plans for 2024 are uh, Challenge Tour, I'd imagine. Yeah, play Challenge Tour next year. Um, yeah, you know, obviously play Challenge Tour. Or, yeah, I suppose the, the, the emotions that came with losing my card were probably a little bit worse because everything had gone so well uh, since I had turned pro. You know, obviously, thanks to my first year, I got a few invites, got a got a challenge for a card straight off the bat, which was you know pretty difficult to do. Um, then played challenge for a year, came top forty five again. That's a pretty solid first season, and then got my card straight away uh, at Q School after that. So, you know, that's um everything had just gone really well since, since I turned pro. There hadn't really been any any roadblocks hit or any yeah um any points where you'd hold on and be like geez do I need to evaluate anything here so uh I, I think that's what made this year a little bit more emphasized is that I hadn't really everything since I'd started progressing in the game of golf had, had just gone so smoothly that I hadn't hit a roadblock so then when I hit a roadblock it certainly made it feel made it feel a bit more emphasized um but to, yeah as I said to be standing here with the challenge store cards you know like two years into into turning professional certainly isn't the end of the road and there's, there's a lot to be positive and optimistic about and then yeah as I said hopefully you know every career in the game of golf you hope it to, to be 20 30 years long and um, I think looking at things in the long run it's, it's certainly uh certainly not the worst place to be in. and yeah as I said I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being rejuvenated and going, going out for a pre-season and, and prepping for what's uh what's hopefully going to be right here it should be. And uh, to finish off, John, we'll have a couple of small quick fire questions for you. Um, I know it wasn't probably the best year for you, not you wanted, but um, what was your favorite moment of 2023? What moment stands out for you on the course? Favorite moment of 2023. I think, to be honest, I haven't had such a poor start to the year. I think um, you're actually there for my, my first. 
the, the Saturday 65 I shot in Belgium after after making a, my first part of the year in May. Um, I think I shot, or maybe it was a 66 or something on the Saturday. I played played really well and just, you know, my parents were there and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I think there was just a good buzz around, this, around that week. And I remember shooting 65 in the field as well. I almost had a little bit of a weight off my shoulders and that, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, just obviously that things had gone. Um, yeah, I, I suppose ju- just the cut made in, in itself would have been the, the the highlight just because of how poorly things had gone. But to be able to just walk off the course and currently be there after a Saturday sixty five was was uh, probably probably the, the highlight of the year. No, when you when you roll that putt in there uh, on eighteen, um, it was to bring you to tight fourth anyway. But um, uh, I celebrated inside the VIP lounge anyway. Thanks, uh, thanks to you. Yeah. Uh, that that was a, that was a nice touch. I should have joined you, Sean. I might help you on the Sunday. <laughs> uh, no, you were going well on the Sunday. You rattled off two birdies. It's like this fella, you said it to me. It's like, you uh, you were like, I'm going to shoot a 59 here. You're like, <laughs> you were looking yeah, yeah. in the first place there for a while. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Wouldn't be sat here and go close. <laughs> I know. That's a good point. Um, next one for you. Um, your favorite, um, Your favorite course you played on this year? Uh, I think that week up in Switzerland is, is very special. You know, the as far as the golf course goes, uh, probably not my favorite, but just the area where you are, the you know you're up in the mountains, the views are spectacular, and this is just a really good atmosphere around for the week. Um, so I, I would say my highlight of the year from a, from a tournament perspective is probably that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that that even looked fantastic on TV. So a hundred percent. And, um. Then finally, your favorite golfer to play with this year, either in a practice round or uh, competitively. Um, do you know what? I always go back to. I think no matter who I play with, I'm always going to get Paul because an answer for that. Uh, just because he's so he's so helpful and generous with his time and willing to to help you and offer as much advice as you need. Um, so I certainly think Paul was the what was again the standard player to play with and you know it's so I, I also don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is you know he's 53 years of age and he can he can hit it like anybody in the world he can compete with anyone in the world and um yeah I, I think from an Irish golfing perspective he doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for the game and for and certainly now for how good he is to us you know starting off he's um yeah he's uh, an inspiration to us all yeah, no, it definitely um an an icon of uh, Irish golf. But there's one other thing I wanted to ask you. It's like um, you'd be good friends now with Min Woo Lee and Daniel Hillier. And uh, how did you get them to start playing hurling there? Um, when you were finished around, did you do you have a few hurleys in the bag, or, or how that come about? Yeah, I did. Well, I've been telling them about it all year. You know, I was I was like here, you know, don't mind your AFL or your. You know, Dan's into his cricket and like here, if you if you want to see a sport, you come to Ireland and you you hold this this stick and ball and we'll give you and um the two of them did it and they started just whacking it around and I was support like I think Danny even played it one hand and they were they were actually really good. I was shocked because normally when I gave it to you know if I was traveling with the hurry and I gave it to somebody they'd be like looking at me like what do I do with this? But they just picked it up, started whacking it to each other and by the end of it they were hitting fifty, sixty yards, one end of it or yeah, one end of the the green to the other. Um and yeah, we they were you know, like I actually went back inside and they just stayed out there playing. They were out there for ages, just just whacking around. So um I, I was trying to pick a county that he that he shouldn't have to play for and I was I was finding that to be difficult. So we need to wait till they move here to see to determine that. You never know if if, if Pa Horgan hangs it up, Min Wu or Dan could uh yeah, I know. Bring their corner forward. And then put forward. 
New free taker, new 100 free taker. They do a job, they do a job. Listen, John, um, I appreciate uh, you giving me your time. I'll leave you back to the to the beach and um, to the good life in the Gold Coast. Oh, thanks, William. Thanks as always, well. Thank you. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And Kieran, it's that time of week again where we take a look ahead at this week's Southern Star. And I'd say there is a plenty in there for any Castlehaven fans. Yeah, obviously Castlehaven are the, the story of this week after the Munster, Munster football final win. So Holly O'Sullivan's column is, is kind of analysing the game. Tom Lyons gives his verdict on it. There's match reaction from Conor Cahillan, Mark Collins, James McCarthy, Damien Cahillan. The three reasons why Haven won. So there's a, a load in there for Haven fans to, to sink their teeth into and relive one of the greatest moments in the club's history. And while this could be Haven's week, you could say, in the Southern Star, next week could be O'Donovan Rosses because we have a big preview of their All-Ireland Junior Club final against Claire Morris this Sunday in Parnell Park. So for Skip fans listening to this podcast, rush out and get the Southern Star on Thursday because we've loads in there previewing the biggest game that the, the ladies football team of the club have ever played. So we've um, an interview with Kate O'Connell who we had on last week's podcast. She chats about her commute from Madrid to Skipperine for games. Kate is in college in, um, in Madrid at the moment. So if anyone from Ryanair is listening to this podcast, you need... You need to sponsor a couple of flights for for Kate because her she goes through her travel routes trying to get home from from um, Madrid. Sometimes she has to go from into Paris and Paris to Cork. She's all these different flights and routes because she wants to get into Cork Airport to make it a bit easier for her. So Mike, if Michael O'Leary is listening to this podcast, please, please, please send Kate O'Connell a Ryanair voucher for Christmas. I think she deserves it. We also have an interview with Lisa Hart, the Skibbereen captain who received the West Cork Sports Star Award um, last Friday night for, for leading Skib to Cork and Munster honours and Touchwood to led the All-Ireland Trophy to that on Sunday. I also chat to Christine Fitzgerald. She's a Skibbereen goalkeeper, but she's also the former Skibbereen rower who rode at a very high level for, for Skibbereen. Um, I chat to her about, about her, her own career, but even that switch, that transition from rowing to to, to football and she's now the Odell Rossa goalkeeper this is her second season in goal and she admits it was terrifying at times last year because it was a new position for her but she's, she's definitely found her feet this year and she's come up with some crunch saves at huge moments of big games and we also have an interview with Trina Murphy as well while there's a match preview in there and we look at some of Skib's most important players so there's loads in there for, for Skib fans looking back through the paper Kilimartra had a huge Munster Intermediate Football Final win and Sunday, that was yet the same day as Castlehaven. So we've a report and reaction from that. We have a two-page special from the West Cork School Boys and School Girls recent awards night. So all the pictures of all the winners. So this is one for mums and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles of these award winners. Get hold of Thursday Star. It's one that you, you want to keep on to. We also have um, a very interesting proposal from Joe Blake. Um, uh, he's the Adjugal Clubman and the Bearer GA Secretary. He was talking at the Bearer um, AGM on Friday night and he put forward the suggestion that the county championships group stage should be tweaked some bit. So instead of playing games on neutral venues, that there should be home, away and neutral. Um, that, that each club should get to host a home game 
Then you have an away game, then you'll have a game on a neutral venue. And I really like this idea. I really do, because um, he makes the point that Beira have five clubs in playing a county championship level. That's from Premier Intermediate down to Junior B. And I worked out that those five clubs played 22 championship games this year, but not one game was played on Beira's side. So there was no county championship game played in Beira this year. And Joe makes the point that why not just tweak the format and have clubs be able to host one home game. I just think it's a great idea because you could imagine the excitement of um, mm. of Bear clubs hosting their own their own team in a huge county championship game. But that spreads right across West Cork as well. Imagine, let's say, for instance, um, Castlehaven hosting Carby Rangers yeah. in in, um, in a county championship game, or Nemo Rangers having to travel down to Clannacilty. I just think it'd be fierce excitement and you could get big crowds at these games. So that's um, that's well worth checking out. We also have all the news from the Carby AGM, which was held on Friday night also. There's a lot of talking points there. Um, again, the Southern Stars is the only place where you can read about soccer in West Cork right now. So our man Sean Holland was at the the Kilgobbin Celtic Clannock Hills United Championship game on Sunday morning and Ben O'Sullivan was the hero of the hour with all five goals for Kilgobbin. So if that report in Thursday Star and um, Fiona Everard competed at the European Cross Country. The bowl coming team for the European Road Bowling Championships in Germany was named and we have the details of that. While also Ger McCarthy um, lists his top 10 sports books of the year. So if you're still struggling to find that perfect Christmas present for the loved one in your life. Or if you just want to get a book for yourself to treat yourself over the Christmas period, check out Thursday Southern Star because Jor has 10 of the top sports books from the years and there's some really good reads in that. So um, even though it's Christmas, or even though, sorry, it's December, even though it's close to Christmas, even though it's meant to be quiet at this time of the year for, for sport, Dylan, that's certainly not the case because Thursday Southern Star is jam-packed. I was going to say mid-December and as busy as ever. All that will be available in shops across West Cork from Thursday morning. And as always, if you're further afield, you can't make it to the shops. You can subscribe to the Southern Star and get it on your laptop, tablet or a phone. We just released a brand new app as well. So um, great experience there reading the e-paper on your phone or tablet. Said to subscribe.southernstar.ie, enter your details and you'll get an exact replica of the newspaper for less than two euro per week and full access to our website as well and now might be a great time to subscribe to our annual option there as well Kieran, because you get a, a month free so it's 80 euro for the year and it'll get you up to this point next year as well so you'll get all of next year's support pretty much out of it as well so it's a great time to subscribe as always thanks for listening to the star sport podcast and thanks again to our sponsors at access credit union if you've enjoyed this please remember to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be back again next week Thanks for listening.